I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of John. That is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And if you haven't been here for a number of Sundays or this is a Sunday where you're visiting with us, we've been studying this book for some time now, months actually, uh, somewhere around uh, the beginning of the year, actually before that, and uh, we're working our way through it verse by verse, and this morning we're going to consider, of all verses, John 3.16, uh, the world's best known verse, likely, and we're going to consider along with that it, the verse following, two verses this morning, so let me read to you what you likely already have memorized, and maybe not so much with verse 17, but we can follow along together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand these two verses. Father in heaven, we bow before you again to ask the same question. We ask each time we open our Bibles in a setting like this. We ask you, the author, to help us understand what you mean by these words. They're so well known to so many people. Lord, we ask that you would help us with with any problem that would result in the familiarity of this passage, to ask that you make it new to us. The same with verse 17, to understand the purpose for which you came to this earth and for what purpose you came to do those things for. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, help me not to make things that are simple, complicated. And we ask this thing, these things in your name. Amen. Well, as said, this is likely the most famous, most well-known, most memorized, most quoted, most Google searched. Uh, I think for years running, perhaps as long as Google has been keeping track of which verses are are Googled most, it's always John 3.16. Probably the most famous literary words... Uh, in all of history, perhaps. But at the same time, and I usually like taking things that are assumed that we all think we understand and and turn that on its head. If this is the most well-known, most familiar, most quoted, most searched passage of Scripture in the world, then that means that more people know about this verse than other people, right? Right? Now, would we think that most of the people that know the best well-known verse would be believers that understand the gospel and understand their Bibles? Or could we also add to this verse another category it's best in? Maybe it's also the world's most misunderstood verse. Just by virtue of how many people know it. 
but thinking of whether or not of the people that know John 3.16, do they know what it means? It might be just a Christian thing for people sitting in pews that would have to worry about, all right, I need to pay attention this morning because this is a, is a class I've already taken. I already know John 3.16. I could repeat it. I could, I could say it. I learned it in Awana or learned it at home or wherever else. It might be problematic for us not to, for one reason or another, skip through these thoughts because we think we know it so well. That would be the problem of, of familiarity. Well, let's try to look at this, first of all, from an, a more academic or cerebral setting. We will look at these words and we will try to understand what these words mean especially from the context we've been studying, where these words come from. We wouldn't just pick and choose pieces of someone's conversation with someone else and take them as ours unless we were in on that or started listening from the beginning of it. So we'll be careful to do that as well. And then we'll just try to make sure that we do our due diligence. And then we'll try to assign perhaps some type of aesthetic meaning to these words it has been said so many times over and over and over again that these are perhaps the most beautiful words in history and if a word is beautiful you'd probably agree that it's not because of the way it's pronounced though some people like the way some people pronounce their words I wish I had a British accent (laughs) maybe you did too Maybe that's what you were expecting. I've got what God gave me, and I try not to say, Lord, I don't like it. But I, like you, probably don't enjoy listening to recordings of yourself. So it's not the way that they're said, perhaps, or even the way that words are spelled. It has to do with what words mean. And really, sometimes a dictionary definition of a word might fall flat as far as what it communicates to you. I'll give you an example. What about the word home? H-O-M-E. I think that probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I passed that word on a sign on the way to church this morning. It said, homes in the (laughs) mid-300s. You know what that means. You can go and find other homes in the high 400s or the mid-200s or low or high 200s. But what if you took those same four letters, H-O-M-E, and you brought in ideas of the house you perhaps were raised in with your parents? Perhaps you spent a lot of time there. Perhaps that's the place you still go back to on Christmas when everybody else from a time in your life that's very meaningful to you, they'll all be there. and, And when you get there, perhaps you'll think in your head, I'm home now, even though it's not the place where you... Stay all the time. You'd say that's a, that's a beautiful meaning of that word. Well, there are words here in these verses that not only have a meaning, they communicate something to us that for many of us in this room, most of us in this room, mean our salvation. They are among the most precious descriptors that we have available to our our language. They'll sound different in other people's languages, but the meaning, the communicated message is is the same. So we'll try to think of it in that way as well. And then maybe we'll think 
at the same time about what these would sound like to people who they're not necessarily uh, on the inside of some of the meaning behind these simple words. Uh, just imagine that you're trying to introduce the author, the human author of John's gospel to, say, a stranger. Let's just say it's uh, the setting is New York City. Uh, one of those coffee shops you see on TV that's so full there are people waiting in line and you're standing there and you've got John the Apostle with you. Okay, we're just pretending here, right? And let's say that you strike up a conversation with somebody in line and you say, oh, just excuse me for my rudeness. Let me introduce you to my friend here. This is John the Apostle. And they look at you. You say, don't worry about the word apostle. It really just means that... uh, this was one of the original eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. And uh, you're probably familiar with his work. He wrote extensively, all for the purpose of convincing the, the readers that Jesus was who he said he was. And uh, the, the way it began was marvelous. He said, in the beginning was the word. That, that's his, his friend Jesus, who was God, with God. Uh, nothing, he, he made all things, nothing was made without him that was made. And then by the time you get down to the verse 14, and I should let him explain this, but that word becomes flesh. He takes on a human body. That's, Jesus was God, but he's man at the same time. The whole purpose of it was to show us, introduce us to his father. And then to be for us what we could never be ourselves, and that was our own righteousness. After he paid for that by his death on the cross. And you just imagine the guy standing there waiting on his coffee listening to you. Go on about John the apostle and his friend Jesus. Until maybe you said, well that and this is the guy that wrote John 3.16. Really? (laughs) I know that verse. Could you autograph something for me? Where's a Gideon when you need one? I need one of those little New Testaments and you can like sign right there next to John 3.16 because there's so many people on this that they don't get any of what was just said. I haven't read John 1 through 3.15 and they might not read John 3.17 through the end where he gets into the 20th chapter and says, I wrote these so that you might believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you believe you might have life through His name. So there's different groups of people in here this morning, from one end of that spectrum to the other. And the closer you are to the Jesus who this is speaking of, the more meaning and the more beautiful these words are. So hopefully today, by our time together and looking at this, perhaps we can assign some beauty to these words that haven't yet been recognized. That would be a great use of our time this morning. So let's focus on the understanding these words have coming from the context that surrounds them. We'll look at them one at a time. Not all of them, just some big ones. And we'll skip from 16 to 17 back and forth a bit just to make sure we, we sew the picture together. But let's start with the word for. That's a good place to start. For is a transitional word. It signals an explanation of previous thought. If you use that word in a sentence, for or because of or therefore or 
Uh, well, that's because of, there's different ways to use it, but four transitions as if we're going to anticipate the reader's going to amplify or clear up or drill down or, 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 or perhaps color the words he's said already. In fact, this likely, depending on the source you're reading, uh, some commentators have difference of opinion as to whether or not verse 16 actually begins the editorial comment of John the Apostle on what had been said between Jesus and Nicodemus. Either way, it's inspired scripture and it means the same whether Jesus said it and your Bible signifies that in red or it was John explaining what Jesus had just said to Nicodemus. But either way, for is explaining. For God, that's the next word. And if we've paid attention in John's gospel, that should immediately bring our mind back to verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's the same God. So when John or Jesus is saying, For God so loved the world, the God in reference is the God before time, before any of these things were. The same God that was with the Word. The Word Jesus, His Son, that would be sent to the world. The, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We're, we've seen enough episodes here in this story or this show. So many people put their uh, understanding of, of, of literature into video format now. But think of it that way. We've seen enough of this that the... The players involved are, are, are coming together and we're, we're identifying them. So, for God means the creator of the world. The God from the beginning. And then we read, for God loved. And I think I mentioned this last week. That this is the only place in scripture where we see God the Father as loving the world. There's plenty of times we see him loving either in those words or by his actions and as far as the Old Testament it's pretty much a Jewish story uh, exclusively and the Jewish people had a hard time understanding that this deal would be open to the rest of the world but that's the way this is described for God so loved the world the word loved there I think we could just camp out here for a number of weeks, if not months, to describe the nuances of what this world has done with the word love or the, 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 the communication of, of what that actually is. Well, the best way for us to understand love is depending on the greatness of the gift and the cost to the giver, at least in this context. We could skip ahead to that he gave his only son. You want to know what love means here in verse 16? Keep reading and you'll see how this love is to the tune of this gift, which is his only begotten son. What, what, what day is Valentine's Day this week? Is it Thursday? Thursday? One of us gets the prize in here today. <laughs> The rest of us are going to be in trouble. <laughs> or at least if you get it wrong that way, you'll be wrong early instead of wrong late, right? But th think about that. Uh, what's a good gift for Valentine's Day? Uh, something that's uh, cheap, you got, on, you got you know, on the way to some place. 
I have this friend in Virginia. The couple attended our Sunday school class. She bakes things. It's very good. They're always uh, beautifully put together. Uh, and her husband's a police officer. And uh, her best day in this little side business are the days leading up to Valentine's Day, especially Valentine's Day, because her husband takes this stuff to work. And uh, all these men who have forgotten up until then uh, get bailed out of what would be a, 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 a bad day to be home with nothing, I suppose. But does it matter that the gifts we give are costly to us and the gifts themselves are precious and meaningful? Well, yeah, we would say we measure love. That's not the only way to measure love. But in this way, God shows the world his love by giving not something that's cheap, but the most costly of things that he absolutely has in his possession. We've been talking about how the Trinity passed before there was ever a world or people lived in relationship with each other. That's how they were able to share relationship with us and love. He's the, the definition of love. He's going to give up part of that to break fellowship with himself. To give away his only begotten son in order to save the world from the punishment he promised if they were disobedient. This is huge. That's what it means to understand for God loved. Love is measured by the greatness of the gift and the cost to the giver. Well, what about the recipient of this gift? The world. For God so loved the world. Well, in this way... When we look at this in the Greek, the word for world is no different than other times we see this explained here. So we add to that our understanding of the, the context that the scriptures use when using this world to understand what is meant by it. Okay, Because we've got options. It could be the, the globe, the planet, uh, the one that was worked on over the course of uh, a number of days during creation. Or it could be uh, the universe with the star and the moon and all that. Or it could be the people that live on the planet. And those are the ones that are getting saved, not the animals. So maybe we're getting warmer. Well, there are a number of ways we could look at this. But let's see if... Let's just use what John says about this word, the world. When, when Jesus is talking about this world, it's likely the same one that he's talking about here that God loves so much. Well, write these down if you want to do the homework later, rather than flipping back and forth to you. Then you might not remember uh, where they are if you're the one that likes to do the homework. But we'll start off in verse 10 of chapter 1. This is some of his editorial comments explaining these grand claims and themes from the, the prologue. John 1.10 says, He, that's Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him. He made the whole thing. Yet the world did not know him. So this world that God loves so much does not know his precious gift. Not like he knows him. You ever think about that sometimes? You know, you, you see some of these tragedies that take place. Lives are lost or families are separated and you hear about it so much especially with the news and all it just seems like it's happening all the time that you can become desensitized to the fact that for those involved their whole world just fell apart their whole world is wrapped up in those 
people that are so special to them. Well, this is a case of the most precious gift that God has that he's willing, because of his love, to give to a world. The world does not see that gift like God sees that gift. That world does not know Jesus like the Father knows Jesus. Okay, skip to 7-7. Uh, I'll write that down. John 7-7. Seven, seven. Here again is the same word. The world, this is Jesus speaking, cannot hate you the same way that it hates me, but it hates me because I testify about that its works are evil. There you're probably getting down to the reason why of the hatred. Because this world that God loves so much is not like his son. They live a different way. They're lost. Their, their deeds are evil. In fact, that's the reason why the wrath of God is stored up for that unrighteousness. This, we're already seeing the picture here that the world doesn't know his son and the world that he loves so much is at odds with the God that loves them so much. The God who promised if you disobey me and we are at odds, I'll remove the life I gave you. I'll give you death instead. That's the wrath of God who promised this, but he still loves them at the same time. He's declared war on them, but he loves them at the same time. Well, that seems to be the, the trajectory here. Then there's chapter 14. This is, this is somewhere in transition between the upper room with the last summer and the Mount of Olives. There's a lot that takes place on that walk from point A to point B, but he's describing here in 1417, uh, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Again, doesn't know him, but there's, some, there's something more that they, not just that they don't know him, but they cannot receive him. They, don't, they can't understand him. They can't receive what he has to offer. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But this world that he's describing here seems to be not those that are in and believe in Jesus, but the unbelieving world, at least in that context. Well, you go to verse 30 of the same chapter, 1430. I will no longer talk with you much, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. He's talking about the devil. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So this world who doesn't know Jesus, who hates Jesus, who can't receive the things Jesus have, at least has the capacity, if they see the right demonstration, to know that the Son at least loves his Father. Okay? Continue to paint the picture. Verse 18 of chapter 15. 15, 18. This is John's gospel. Talking to his disciples there. Getting ready to talk about vines and branches. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. There's the hate again. Any of you have a problem with someone who has a problem with your kid? These days, that's the way to really find out where you stand with an adult. If they got a kid and you got a kid and your kids don't get together. Find out you probably don't get together either. There's time to fix all that sort of thing. But um, quickest way, I think, for... Yeah, I could pick on somebody right here and now. I won't. 
that the quickest way to, for a, 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 a children's worker, children's teacher, youth pastor to get in the ditch fast is to insinuate that their little child might be less than the sunbeam they think they are. <laughs> right? That's the way we act. And it may or not be true. But for a world that hates your son, would you think twice about giving your son for them to abuse brutally for the purpose of atoning for their righteousness that they don't deserve? That's what's going on here. And then there's one more. This is chapter 16, verse 19 and 20. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Okay, well truly I say to you, you will weep and lament. And then to just throw this in at the last point of the verse, but the world will rejoice when I'm gone. You know, this this almost seems like a fulfillment of what was given to us in... uh, and in Psalm 2, I marked it so I could read it to you. The psalmist says, Why do the heathen rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Don't need them. And we talked about this in the what is the gospel part of our new members class last week. How that the world is actually an enemy of God. And you say, I don't ever, don't, don't say that about me. I, I don't think you could find anybody that says, yeah, sign me up. I hate God's guts. Nobody wants to say that. They want to just say, He's, I, I, I just don't need him. I don't want him in my life like I don't want my roommate in my life. I don't need him. Well, you don't tell your creator you don't need him. You don't tell a creator who gives you his son, I don't need him either. When the reason why I gave him is because you absolutely did. So we're signing meaning to these words, right? Is love becoming more meaningful? Uh, well, who, who, who are you loving and for what purpose? No, love of a world that hates him. That's what this verse describes. So let's for the moment skip ahead to verse 17. Keeping in our head, this world doesn't know God, can't believe God, hates God, will rejoice when God is dead, at least his son. Look at verse 17. For the God who loved the world and gave his son did not, you got that? Did not, this is not what happened. Did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Now back to that idea of watching your shows on whatever provider, streamer, whatever. If you've got those that you wait six months or a year and you get a few more episodes and you add a few on and maybe it's one of these dramatic action type and there's been some real bad guys. They've been getting away with bad stuff for a long time but you know it's coming. They're just about ready to catch them in what they've done or the cavalry's coming 
And they're finally going to get what they deserve, right? There's nothing like the satisfaction of watching, you know, the good guy show up, right? Now, what would you think? How long has history been going on before a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? And we get to watch and realize what's been going on in the background all along. And this world who has systematically, over time and again, proven nothing other than the fact that they are lost and they don't care to be corrected. They've been mistreating God, His honor, His commandments, all of it. And finally, He's sending who to this planet? His Son? Oh, it's on now. It's over. I mean, what world gets away with trashing the name, ignoring the laws, absolutely, totally turning their back and walking off from the God that created them? Who gets away with that? He promised you won't. You'll all die for it. And his son's coming? This is the end. So it's as if John needs to say, because you'll all get this wrong if you're looking at it without the correct answer, let me correct that. That's not what it's about at all. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. They're already condemned. They have been since Eden. The reason why Jesus is here is to save them. In fact, the word sent here, did you know that word sent is a, 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 apostolo? It's the same as apostle, sent one. We don't see the word missionary in an English, a Greek to English translation. People like to say, well, missionary is not in the Bible. Well, youth pastors aren't either. <laughs> or the Trinity. Or a lot of stuff. But it's all implied there. Huge and neon. It's there. Missionaries. What is that? To carry, to take the gospel, sent into the dark corners of the world for people who have never heard it before. Sent is the word that God is sending His Son, the greatest missionary the world's ever seen, is none other than His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the first missionary. And if God didn't want missionaries sent, He'd have certainly retained Him. How does the Scripture say? The God who spared not His own Son, but gave Him willingly? That's what's going on here. This is a rescue mission, this is salvation. Saved from what? From God's wrath. This isn't to blow the world up. Now there's revelation. You can read about the second coming later. What happens during all those things. That's for another sermon. The word condemn. It's not that the world has gotten out of hand and God sends His Son to destroy them all. He was sent to save them. As a missionary. So how do we tie this together and make this... Where's the action item in these verses? We've learned a lot of background. We've assigned a lot of meaning, perhaps beauty, to these words. For God so loved the world, we know what that means. He gave His only begotten Son, we know who He is, what the world thinks of Him. That whosoever believes should not perish have everlasting life the meaning of that is given by the meaning of the others most of it perish that's God's wrath that's what Christ is here to save people from if they choose to accept the plan but the two words that I think probably will carry the meaning best are there in your bulletin with a the title from world 
an entity described largely as hating and opposed to God. And then whoever who would choose to believe that he actually is who he said he was. That he's actually here to do for me what I can't do for myself. The world includes everyone. But the whoever does not include everyone. That's a finite number of people. Because clearly in scripture we're taught. We'll look at this next week. That there are those who will reject this free offer. And will not be saved. So the offer is given to the world who hates God. And whoever among that number of people, which is everybody, would choose to believe, they can have eternal life and not perish. There's the offer. Now the whole plan of redemption here rests on what? You know, we could, we could theologically split hairs here for a while, but I think the most beautiful way to describe this is to is to base that whole plan of redemption on that word love. Perhaps even as misunderstood as that love is. Even in the minds of God's children who are redeemed. We, we, his ways are higher than ours. We're still learning every day what it means to be loved by God. But here's what seems to be true in this verse. These two together. Mark this. Write it down. Use it in your witnessing. Understand it to be true of yourself. God's plan to save the world by sending His Son to die in your place has everything to do with His love, not your loveliness. It has nothing to do with you. You're the one that hated Him to begin with, right? If it was based on loveliness, He'd have chosen another planet that was a little more nice to His boy. It's this planet he loves because this is the planet he made in his own image. And the thought of spending eternity without the ones he created for his own pleasure is something not worth sparing his son over. He gave him up. The whole plan of redemption rests on the love of God, not your loveliness. Now without reiterating something that we went through a couple of months ago now. But just to think through what we're reading here in the context of the grand story of the gospel as a whole. Because sometimes we can get tunnel vision and we, we don't see it against the backdrop of how it all took place. But you could go with someone you're talking to about the basics of how this happened. You might even just think of it in the term of a, of a theory to begin with. Let's just suppose that this is the way it all happened, okay? And you say, let's suppose that there was a God, that he does exist, that he'd been around forever, and that he'll be around forever. Never a time where he was not, he's always been. And let's suppose that not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He spoke into existence over the course of a few days, an entire planet complete with birds and animals and fish and all that. And on the sixth day, he created something far more special, man and woman, human beings, in his own likeness, right? And his image, his likeness was what really displayed the grandeur of his character. What better way for people to understand God that, 
cannot see him with their own eyes. It's just to see his fingerprints all over what he's made and what he's done. And his ability through these humans to talk and there to receive his speech and all that. Let's just suppose that's how it happened. But then shortly thereafter, as a way to make sure that they understand what his image is, he gives them one requirement. You do not eat of one tree. The rest are all yours. This is my will or your will, and we'll make sure that you obey mine. I'm the creator. You're the creation. That's the way this works. If you don't, I'll take away your life. You'll no longer bear my image the same way. Our relationship will be broken. You will surely die. Sounds awful. Let's suppose that's exactly what they do. Even though the rest of the world is doing exactly what it was created to do. Stars do what stars do. Monkeys do what monkeys do. All doing what God created them to do. Except for man and woman. And they chose to do what they wanted to do. Not what God had demanded they do as their creator. And thus you have, again back to Sunday school. We described this as an act of cosmic treason. Because your sin is against the one who created everything. And it's not able to be swept under the rug. That would violate the very character of the God who is holy, right? But let's suppose that it's not game over right then. They're dead. Everything's gone. But he begins to work with them patiently over days, weeks, months, years, generations, millennia. Yeah, this big, long story of, of God dealing with the world through a specific group of people named the, the people of God, Hebrews. Jewish people, we call them now. and Just going back through how all that worked. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the 12 tribes, Moses, prophets, priests, all reminding of the covenants. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, but you've got to get this straight. These commandments I write in a rock with my finger are to make you look like me. The world won't know me unless you look like me. That's my image. That's why you were created. And over and over and over and over again, they fail, 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 fail. And over 400 years of silence, absolutely done with his chosen people, he finally sends his son to this earth to do what? Blow it up. Do it himself. You can't be like me. So I'll let my son be like me in your place. And then I won't punish you. I'll take all your sons and put them on my son and I'll give you what would actually wind up to be a, a retranslation of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he crushed his only son. So that any of the world, whoever in the world, believes in him, doesn't need to punish or perish. So I crushed him. I crush you. Have everlasting life. So when you look at it in that way, it's almost... It just doesn't make sense to ask the question. Why can't there be a thousand ways to get to heaven? Why has there only got to be one way? The better question would be, why is there any way? Why would God continue to, to work around our, our rejection of Him? The truth is there isn't. He was merciful enough to give us one way. So you can't miss it if you understand His Word. So for those who have yet to answer the call of belief, there's more to the story. John's just in chapter 3. He's going to continue to lay down evidence. 
and supports of the claim that this is, this is why Jesus is here. But he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And there are so many times he's going to say it has to do with belief. So I'll just ask you before we get to the end of the book, is, are you ready yet? Do you believe this stuff? Do you believe that, that Jesus Christ came here to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself? Do you feel lost without him? I do. To think of getting to heaven and being asked, why should you be here? Good question. I have no idea. But Jesus Christ died for me and on the basis of his blood, I have the right to be called a child of God. Amen and amen. Thank the Lord for his unspeakable gift. Now I understand what the author of Hebrews is saying. What should we do to neglect such a great salvation? What other option do you have? The whole plan of redemption rests on the love of God, not your loveliness. I think we've got enough to think about for today. And folks... This is my attempt to add meaning to these words. I appreciate your prayers. And like I told this third time I mentioned, but this is fresh on our minds. We're going through what the gospel is in these classes and in here in this room. This isn't how to save money on your groceries. This isn't how to take care of your bodies. This isn't how to help your love life or take care of your home. This is how to live forever. This is how to exist past this life here on earth. In the presence of God. Rather than being banished. So if there's any uh, humility or even a, a, a botched ability to wrestle with these grand themes. That's because of our human nature. We stand in awe of a great God. Who loved the world so much. He, he gave us the opportunity to talk about his gift here this morning in church we're most fortunate so let's pray and ask him for help with what to do with this father in heaven thank you so much for your truth for your love that loved the to the tune of your son in exchange for a world who hated you Lord, we thank you for the truth of scripture that, that puts those truths in in in, in reach Lord, for a God who loved us in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, I ask that you bring someone questioning these things to a place where they can accept and confess that you are who you said you were. That you would save someone today by your grace at the point of their belief. And for those who are thinking, Lord, I ask that you keep them close Lord, may they wrestle with these questions to have to know, to answer them, to get to the bottom. And Lord, for the rest of us who know this truth, may we tell others. And Lord, coming into March, may that be the emphasis of our month and the driver of our missions. Lord, thank you for our time together today, especially with these beautiful words. Comfort our souls with these. Use them as your arms to wrap us tight. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Pray with me, please.
Our God and our Father, we thank you for yet another time that we can gather here. We thank you, Father, for our pastor bringing these words to us. We pray, Father, that we might be able to use these words in our testimony, that we might be able to show Jesus Christ living in us so that people may question us and say, I want that. We pray, Father, that you might guide and direct here in our lives. We pray, Father, that you'll help us here as we go out into the mission field. We pray uh, this morning here, Father, for uh, our mission here through the Bible Institute, J. Vernon McGee. We pray, Father, that you might bless that endeavor as he brings the word of of God to people, that they might better understand uh, your word. And now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 